Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Well, amen. As we continue to worship, let me invite you now. Let's take the Word of God, open the Word of God, and turn in the Word of God to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark. We launched a new series last Sunday here in Mark chapter 1. We're going to continue in Mark chapter 1 today, starting in verse 14. And so as we follow along, make sure you have your Mark Scripture journals. If you had one last week, if you didn't get one, we'll get you another one here soon. But we want to make sure we're following along in the Word of God here today. And as we look here, and starting in verse 14, one thing so significant about the public ministry of Jesus is just how insignificant it actually began, how it actually got off to a start, because it doesn't begin in Jerusalem, it begins in the wilderness. It doesn't begin with a press conference, it begins with a baptism. There's no parade and there's no feast for this new king, but rather there's 40 days of solitude in the wilderness where he's fasting and being tempted by Satan in the desert. So in all these things, despite how we might introduce or announce a king in a kingdom, what we find here, even in the way that Jesus comes, is we learn about the authority of Jesus. He has come with absolute authority over all things. And we saw that last week with the temptation of Jesus. We saw that Jesus has authority over Satan in his victory over temptation. Today we're going to see how he has victory over sin in his preaching of the good news of the gospel of forgiveness. And then we're also going to see also today is that he has victory over sinners in his call to follow him. He has authority over Satan, he has authority over sin, and he has authority over all sinners who he calls to himself. That's the strategy that we see of our king coming to change the world. Victory over sin in a vision of salvation. Right? What would we do if we lived with such a mindset that we have victory over sin, a vision of salvation to the ends of the earth that's clearly presented here, right here in the gospel, as he gives the good news to those who are now being sent. So let's look at the call here today. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word, starting in verse 14 again today. <clears throat> We're going to read how, again, he begins his ministry. Again, Mark, if you weren't here last Sunday, it's very short Very to the point, and we're going to see that happen here today as well. He says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, that being Simon Peter and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you not fishermen, I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on just a little bit further, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, actively in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. This is the word of God. Let us pray and ask God to use it today as we submit and surrender to his authority over us. Father, we come before you grateful and thankful for your living word. God, I pray it again. It is living in us. And Father, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that your eternal word will be written on our hearts. That Father, things that we don't know that God, you will teach. 
God, the things that we don't have, you'll faithfully give. And God, the people we are not, God, would you faithfully make us into your image. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. God, church says, amen. As you find your seat, again, find the backside of your worship guide today. You can follow along as we plug in some blanks and and walk together through the word of God. I want to see two things today very clearly presented in our text. Two things about this encounter. Two things about this coming king who now is really launching his ministry. Right? He's coming from the desert. He's coming from the temptation, from the fasting, from overcoming victory. And now he's coming and he's going to preach. He's going to declare the good news of Jesus. And we see in that, we see two different things. We see, first of all, the invitation that we have to believe. All right, the invitation given to us to believe in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to our text in verse 14. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. In other words, the kingdom is here, the king has arrived, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So it's interesting, Jesus finally goes public and John goes to prison, right? We've been waiting for for John. He's been preparing the way. He's the forerunner. He's the voice, the one crying out the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And John has been preparing the way. John has now gone to prison. I believe in Mark 6, we're going to see what that will look like when John is in prison and his outcome of him faithfully preaching the gospel. And Jesus, what does he do? He comes preaching. He goes public. And what's interesting is that, that Jesus picks up exactly where John left off. I mean, what was John's message the whole time? John had the message of repentance. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The king is coming. Repent. The time is now. Repent. And the, the, the king has arrived. And Jesus comes preaching the same message. What is his message, he says here in verse 15? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's time, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Now, you remember, we talked about repentance last week. That, that was what the, the message of repentance that John came preaching, repentance. It is a confession of sin, but it's also a change of direction, right? So confession of sin, change of direction, that is what true biblical repentance is, that I'm willing to not only feel remorse for my sin, but I'm going to renounce my sin because I was walking this way in my sin, but I've repented. Now I'm walking a new way out of my sin. I'm turning away from something and turning to someone. That is repentance and belief coming together. And so John has prepared the way. And now the way has arrived. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. The way has arrived. And he comes preaching the good news that that Jesus, that God, can forgive sinners. And he can take them into this everlasting kingdom that is now at hand if they repent of their sins. If they believe that Jesus is the only Savior for their sin, he comes preaching the good news. And it's the best news the world is still yet to hear. Amen? Amen. There's no better news that we could ever hear than that Jesus came to save sinners. That he came preaching a good news gospel of repentance. Satan has been conquered. Your sin has been conquered. And sinners can be changed into sons. Right? The king that everyone has been waiting for has come. The kingdom that everyone has been expecting from the Old Testament prophecies has arrived. And Jesus says, I'm here. And it's time to respond. Repent and believe. Repent of your sin. Turn away. Change your direction. Change your mind. Confession 
and then it's believe, and then come to me and follow me, right? This is going to be the call that we see throughout the Gospel of Mark, is that we confess, we, we, we leave behind, and then we, can, we call and answer, and we come to Jesus. And so I love that, because even from the beginning, notice this, from the very beginning, God has one method to deliver the good news. Preaching. Right? It says that Jesus, he came proclaiming, he came preaching the gospel of God. And, and I don't elevate preaching to justify what I do, right? I elevate it because it's what Jesus did. It's what he came doing. He came preaching the gospel. And here's what's so mind-blowing to me. If you'll notice it, he came preaching a gospel of repentance. Do you see how basic it is? Right? He doesn't have a series based on the movies to draw your attention in. Right? He's not using something that's going to like draw a crowd. He's not like, hey, I've got this really cool series on current events and culture. Right? We're going to use some buzzwords to kind of bring you into the fold. He's doing nothing to attract people. Right? He does nothing to, to say, hey, here's an attractional message with an attractional church and attractional gospel. He's preaching the basic message of the gospel of truth, which is repent. Come to Jesus. Be changed. All right, it's, it's nothing, again, exciting as far as the world is concerned, and yet it still works. That's why, again, we're driven to the text in this place. We want to be driven to the Word of God that changes lives, and He comes preaching the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, the message we have is from God, but it's for others, right? We get the message from God, we deliver it, proclaim it, preach it to others. It's for them. And it's not complex, but it's costly. It's not complicated, but it again, it is costly because it not only cost Jesus his entire life to die for you, not only cost him his very own body being broken, his blood that was shed to save yours, but it's also going to cost you to follow him. It's going to cost up you taking up your cross. It's going to cost you leaving behind your old way of living as you change directions. It's going to cost your old sin, your old habits, your old patterns, your old plans for your life. Those things are going to have to die with your sin. But it says when you repent and when you believe in what Christ has done for you, when you call upon his name in faith, it also tells us this, that your sin, because of you coming to the Savior, your sin will be fully, freely, forever forgiven and forgotten. That's the good news, church is that you, no matter who you are in this place today, if you're a common fisherman that we'll see in a minute, if you're a tax collector and you're the enemy of other people, if you're the worst of the worst, caught in the sin of adultery, whatever it is in the gospel that we see, there's an invitation for you to come and be fully, freely, forever forgiven. But you have to come. You have to repent. This is why Jesus preaches this message, repent and believe in what I've done for you. Believe that I died for you. Believe that I loved you, that I gave my life for you. Believe that I've washed away your sin because I didn't just cancel it. I, I took it upon myself, right? Believe in what Christ has done for you. And I want to challenge you to see that the power and the chains of your sin has been completely broken by Jesus. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know if you're walking in addiction right now. I don't know if you're struggling with depression or anxiety, if you're struggling with anger and hatred, if you're struggling with a substance or another sexual addiction. All I know is that when you come to Christ, you can be set free. But you have to repent. You have to change directions. You have to change your mind. You have to let Jesus change your life. You have to commit to the change that Christ brings to you through the message of conviction. He comes calling you. He comes convicting you. And you have to commit to be changed by him. 
That is what the invitation that we see is that we have this invitation to believe. And I'm going to challenge you that your full change is only going to take effect when you're truly changed by Jesus. You can change a little by your own willpower, right? You can, but it's not going to stick because you can't modify your behavior into Christ. You can't change yourself enough to make yourself look like Jesus. You have to be changed from the inside out. That's the only way you can truly be transformed into something new is when that change comes inside of you. And so we see this invitation that we have to believe and to become like Christ. So there's the first thing. Then not only see the invitation to believe, we see the individual we become. Out of that repentance, out of that change of direction, out of that commitment, right, out of that calling that we have, we see the individual that we become in our repentance. Look in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So we see very plainly in their language, they were working. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. And then going on just a little bit further, as if he's going down the coastline of this little Sea of Galilee, he calls and he sees the son, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. Those are the sons of thunder. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Now, first you might read that and be like, man, they left their dad behind. Right? It's kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're in the middle of the day, in the middle of the job site, but I was praying with some men this morning, and what greater gift than a dad could give their kid and say, yeah, go follow Jesus. Right? Isn't that what I'm called to do? Isn't that what you're called to do? It's like, hey, yeah, you're doing this, but Christ came along and changed your life. Go. Right? I want to send my kids off to follow Jesus. I think that's the greatest thing, the greatest testimony of a dad right there is say, yeah, leave me. I can handle this. You go follow Jesus. And so we see this call to become something new. Now, understand about these four men. Kind of, we, we kind of typically see them as like just poor fishermen, right? Just like, oh, they're hanging out, they're dirty, they're, they're lost, they're broken people. But these weren't employees or day laborers. These were prominent career men. That's what these guys did for a living. They provided for their family. They had their own family-owned business, right? They've got their own boats. They've got their own gear. They've got their own business, right? They are, are trading fish. They're, they're making a lifestyle and a livelihood out of running this family-owned business. And then Jesus comes along, and he, he gives them an incredibly unusual command. And what did he say? He said, hey, follow me. Follow me. That was unusual. Right? Rabbis didn't really do this. In fact, rabbis would tell their disciples, hey, follow God and obey the law. Right? They would always point them to the law. That was what they pointed to, not to themselves. And on the surface, when you read this, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, who does this? Who in the middle of work, in the middle of their day, unless you just hate your job, right? But who in the middle of work, in the middle of, of your livelihood, in the middle of your own family-owned business, drops everything that you're doing at that moment in time and leave everything behind because someone shows up and says, follow me. doesn't make any sense on paper. It doesn't make any sense when you look at it as an observer. Nobody does that unless the one you're following is worth more than what all you're leaving behind. See, and he calls them in an extreme way, and they abandon absolutely everything. They drop their nets. They leave behind their boats. They leave their family. 
They, they leave behind their business. They leave behind everything. They abandon everything just to follow Jesus. Now, I want you to see two applications within this. Number one, I want you to see that there are no conditions for you to come to Jesus. All right, no conditions for you to come to Jesus. Because I love when he calls them. He didn't say, hey, y'all go get better, improve your, your spiritual life a little bit, and then come follow me. He didn't say, hey, when you figure some stuff out, because, hey, Simon, you're a loose cannon, right? I need you to, to get some behavior modification. I need you to go to some therapy, right? Work on your language a little bit and commitment issues. I need you to do that and then come follow me. They don't, he doesn't do any of those things. He finds them exactly where they are, and he finds them as they are, and he says, come follow me and never be the same again. Right? He changes them where they are and changes them as they are, as if, in other words, to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to leave everything else behind. So Mark 8, 34 tells that we have to take up our cross daily and count everything a loss. We must follow Christ. And so he is saying, hey, guys, listen, this is the end of your life. The life that you had planned, the life that you knew, this is the end of your life, but it's the beginning of my life for you. And I've got a big plan for you. I want you to drop everything that you have. I want you to drop everything that you think of. And I want you to follow me. And I guess what? I'm going to take you where you are as a fisherman. And I'm going to make you into something even better. I'll make you a fisher of men. He changes their identity in this calling. He changes their purpose and their path and their plan in this one calling. And isn't that what it means for us to follow Jesus? To, to declare that nothing is off limits? To declare that everything is in full surrender? I mean, I mean, he comes in the middle of the work day and says, follow me. And what is remarkable is that they did it. I mean, you think about that. He's just walking down the coastline. Come on. All right. Drop it. And they obey. They obey in full obedience. They dropped it all. They left behind livelihood. They left behind family. They left behind security, right? Because that's how they provided for their families, how they ate. They left behind reputation, right, as family-owned businessmen. They left behind a social status, possibly to follow this rabbi, this, this kind of new teacher on the scene. They left behind a lot of comfort, the comfort zone. Man, it's really comfortable here. I've got a, I've got a pattern. I wake up, I do this, I go to bed, and I do this, right? They had a pattern for life that we all thrive on. They left behind all their plans for the future, maybe the dream house they've been saving up for, or the next boat that they needed for their business. They left behind everything. To follow Jesus. It's amazing obedience. Came at a great price. Came at great cost. But I want to challenge us as followers of Jesus. Everything has to be on the table. Everything must always be on the table. Your house. Your career. Your family plans. Your bank account. Your future Everything has to be available to God's calling at any and every moment. Because you never know when he's going to show up and say, follow me. You may be planning one day and he comes up and says another thing another day. And this is where we tend to negotiate with God. Like, well, hold on. I'm going to give up this, but, but I'm going to follow you until 4 o'clock, but i got to come back. Right? Because i got to do this. And, and we negotiate with God. Like, God, I'm going to give you X amount of time. I'll give you X amount of my tithe. But, but God, that's where it stops because I also need this. And I need to provide this for my joy and my satisfaction in my life. And so we try to keep some things in our lives almost untouchable. Like, God, you can have all of this except my secret sin. 
God, you can have all this except that extra relationship at work. God, you can have all this except, though, this is my nest egg for my rainy day, right? God, you can have all this except, no, this is my Sunday for my time that I need for myself. And so we kind of tend to keep things separated from God. But to follow Jesus, we see in the text, it means to unconditionally surrender all things in our lives to him. No conditions. He's king his kingdom has arrived. The king is at hand. He calls to come after him. And we, we must be willing to lay down all things in order that we may follow the one thing that matters the most. The one thing that matters the most. And so we see there's no conditions for you to come. You just have to come. And then we see the second thing is this, that Jesus, he doesn't choose the impressive. He chooses the willing. He doesn't choose the impressive. He chooses the willing. Jesus chose men... To be his disciples so ordinary, it's pretty comical. I mean, you're, you're going to change the world with, with four fishermen. And in a moment, he's going to choose a tax collector. Right? He's going to choose all kinds of people to be like, him? Like, like Matthew, Peter, they definitely wouldn't be in our church staff. right? Who knows what they would do up there? Right? We, we don't know what they would do. They would, they would all kinds of different problems. When you look at the roster of disciples, you won't find any rabbis. You won't find any religious experts. You won't find any church staff upon the team. All right? There are 12 men that, that we would never, ever choose. And yet, in Acts 14, 13, it says that they were common, ordinary men. They could tell that they were just regular old people, but they had been with Jesus. And so Jesus chose the unimpressive to show us and teach us that in his power, the weakest person was all infinitely greater than the most impressive person with the greatest talent apart from him. He chooses people like you. He chooses people like me, praise God. Right? He uses people like us to be used to do his work in his kingdom. I mean, that truth comes alive in Matthew 11, 11. In Matthew 11, 11, Jesus says the greatest prophet, the greatest man to ever live among women was John the Baptist. But then he says... But even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. And the only way that the least in the kingdom of God with the bottom of the barrel talent, the bottom of the barrel uh, um, kind of gifting set, the bottom of the barrel um, things to use in the church, using the body of Christ, the only way that the person has more potential than, for ministry than John the Baptist is if they have the gift of the Holy Spirit and the calling of God upon their lives. So that means no matter how unimpressive how least in the kingdom you may feel or that you actually are, if you're willing and you follow Jesus and he fills you and he uses you and the Holy Spirit begins to speak through you in the mouth of one believer, you are more powerful than the greatest communicator apart from the Holy Spirit in the entire world. Isn't that amazing? Because you're thinking, not me. Yeah, and I'm thinking the same thing, not me, right? I wouldn't choose me. I'm missing half an arm, right? There's a lot of people who could use better hand signals than I could, right? Thank God I don't do Lynn's job because I'd only direct half the choir, right? I couldn't do it. I would never choose me. I would never choose myself. All right? It would never be who I would use. And yet we see the men that he chose reflects the people he still uses today. God wants to use you. I don't care if you're unimpressive. It doesn't impress God that you're impressive. What impresses God is that you're willing and again, we've heard all time and time through church over again, it's never about ability, it's always about availability, right? That's what it's always been about, that's what it will always be about, is, hey, God, I'm yours, I'm willing to be used by you. D.L. Moody, I read this quote last week, again, I've read it a 
hundred times before this, but it really stuck with me last week. D.L. Moody said this. He was an amazing pastor, revivalist, amazing theologian, man of God. He would say that the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. The world has still yet to see what God will do with a man fully available, fully surrendered, fully given to him. And I would just challenge us, let's be resolved to be that man. What will God do with a church in absolute surrender? What will God do with a body of believers in absolute, unconditional, without any negotiation, said, God, here it is. It's all yours. All I have, all I am, all that I plan for, all that I want, God, I belong to you. And here's the take home for us this morning as we look at this call to repent and this call to come I want you to see very simply this. This is kind of one of my, my quotes that I hang on to with a lot of life. Is that God can do much more with much less than you can with all of it. God can do much more with much less than you can with all of it. I mean, you think about the people he chose, the ministry they're about to do. God can do a whole lot more with a whole lot less than you can with all of it. What they gave up. What they surrender, what they left behind, God can do a whole lot more with a whole lot less than you can with all of it. You see, following Jesus means we follow Jesus into more. That's John 10.10, 10, I came to give you life and I came to give it to you in abundance. I came to give it to you abundantly. And notice in this call of these disciples, he will make us into something entirely new and entirely different. John, you had a plan for this, but I got a plan for that. John, you were heading this direction, but... Man, I've got a better direction for you. I'm calling you into this. Right? So we see that he makes us into something more because I, I love the way that, that he calls us because when he calls Peter, in, in another gospel account, I believe it's in John, he says, Peter, you're following me, right? And, and you're going to be a rock upon the rock of which I build my church. Right? He kind of tells him, you're going to be foundational to, to the, the early church. He tells him this. But when he calls him, is Peter a rock? Not at all. I mean, Peter, again, he, he's sketchy, right, at best. Like, he, he has uh, commitment issues. He's got all kinds of different problems that we see with Peter. But yet, Christ calls him not for who he is, but who he will make him into, right? Doesn't, doesn't make sense and doesn't give us a lot of joy to know that God calls us not for who we are, but who we will become in him, right? He calls us for who we will become, and God's calling you. He sees what he can do with you. He can do a whole lot more with a whole lot less then you can with all of it, but you have to actually come. And so let's bow our heads and hearts. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, at newlifebaptist.faith.